Thank you for that message. I love that song and the message of that song. If you pray this week for, for Miss Eileen's family, they're going to be coming in in preparation for the, the wedding. And I believe your parents will be driving tomorrow and uh, coming up. And then uh, uh, Brother Arias will be preaching uh, during our missions conference for the, for the Spanish ministry, the Spanish portion of our missions conference. So you pray for them and a lot of the family as they travel up uh, uh, leaving tomorrow and coming this direction, preparation for Friday and the wedding. Just lift them up unto the Lord there. Matthew chapter 5, would you stand with me as we read together the, the Word of God this morning? Matthew chapter 5, we've asked you to seek to memorize this portion of Scripture. We're almost at the end of it here. And so I hope you have it memorized. If you do not, uh, please continue that. You will find this to be a blessing in your home, a blessing in your life, just hiding the Word of God in your heart. Uh, David said, Thy word, if I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And so I encourage you, memorize the Word of God, meditate upon the Word of God, make the Word of God an important part of your life. Matthew 5, you'll read this portion with me this morning. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you." This morning we're going to, to look at this thought, rejoicing in persecution. Uh, how many of you cherish persecution? You look forward to it. You're happy about it. You rejoice in it. It's really not something that, that humanly we, we will look forward to or cherish. We, we don't like it. We don't want it. Sometimes we run from it or we hide from it. But God said that those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are blessed. And he said, we're to be happy, we're to rejoice in persecution. So rejoicing in persecution this morning. If you'll join me, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. It's, it's just good to be in this place. You are so gracious to us, so good to us already. Uh, you have spoken to our hearts, Lord. Thank you. And, and really, as, as this song expressed, uh, why should I worry? Why should I fear? When Jesus is near. And that's something we find so very clearly in the midst of persecution. It's something that becomes more real to us perhaps than at any other time in our life. And Lord, I pray here this morning, I don't know what any particular individual is facing, whether at work or home or with family, uh, but Lord, I pray here this morning somehow by your word, by your spirit, you would speak to the needs of hearts Lord, have your way. Exalt yourself. We want more than anything else for you to be exalted. Lord, I, I know it's not by accident that any person is here. And you've got a message for each of us. And Lord, help us to be alert to that message today. In the wonderful, precious name of Jesus, we pray and ask. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. 
As you're seated, want to just quote a, a couple of verses here this morning. Second Timothy, chapter three, verse number twelve. Paul writing to Timothy expressed, "Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." What Paul is, is expressing is persecution is going to be a part of the Christian life. It's, it's not something strange. First uh, Peter uh, said that these fiery trials would come upon us, and, and it's not some strange thing that is coming our direction. And Peter is writing to Christians that are scattered through the world. Many of them uh, were scattered because uh, they lost their jobs, or uh, they were dismissed from their homes, or they uh, had prison sentences upon their lives. And so they were scattered through that part of the world. And uh, Peter expressed, it's not a strange thing that comes upon you. Uh, those that live a sold-out Christian life are going to face times of persecution. We have Brother Ray Schulz going to preach our missions conference. And many of you will remember back in 2004, there was the tsunami uh, that came upon much of the Asian world. There were multitudes of people that were killed in that tsunami. And following the tsunami, uh, Brother Ray Schulz at that time was in Cambodia. And he went with some other missionaries to Sri Lanka. And they were going to minister to those that had been devastated by the tsunami. Uh, they were handing out tracts, and one day after handing out some tracts, they made their way to a local restaurant. They noticed that crowds were gathering outside. As these crowds gathered outside, these men finished their meal, they made their way out to their van, and the crowds surrounded them. Uh, I believe they were groups of Hindus, maybe Buddhists, that uh, were rejecting the Word of God. These crowds then became angry. Uh, these three men made their way to the van and the crowds gathered stones and rocks and began to throw them through the windows of the van. And uh, Brother Shoal gave the testimony, had it not been for the police coming in force at that time, they certainly would have been taken into eternity. Uh, but they were rescued at the very last minute. Now, that's something we don't often understand in the United States of America. However, I, I believe the nearer, the closer we come to the return of Jesus Christ, I think it's very likely that God's children are going to have to buckle down because there are some difficult things coming our direction. Uh, the history of God's people is a history of persecution. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 12, we read a moment ago, For so persecuted they the prophets were, which were before you. As you read through the word of God, we come to Abel. Abel, for righteousness' sake, was murdered by his own brother, Cain. Uh, we read of Moses, persecuted, rejected by his own people. Uh, Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers for righteousness' sake. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet cast into the dungeon, known as the weeping prophet. But Jeremiah suffered tremendously for the cause of the word of God. Isaiah, in the Old Testament, the prophet was sawn asunder. That simply means that he was most likely placed into a log and the log was chopped in half and Isaiah's body severed in half. Gave his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. We could go on and on in the Old Testament. As we make our way to the New Testament, Jesus was hated, rejected, despised, mocked, beaten, betrayed, crucified. He came to his own, his own received him not. 
He spoke in John chapter 15 to his apostles. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of this world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. As we study the life of the apostles, every one of the apostles was martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ, with the exception of John the Apostle, the only one to die in old age. He himself was exiled for a period of time on the Isle of Patmos for preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, we read of, deacon, uh, of uh, Stephen, a deacon of the church there in Jerusalem, and Stephen was stoned. Uh, we read of James, that he was imprisoned and then killed. Uh, we read of Paul that eventually he was beheaded in a Roman prison for the sake of the gospel. We don't understand those things because of the freedom we've known in America. Uh, really, over the last 250 years, the freedom that we as Americans have known as Christians has been unprecedented. But if you study the history of Christianity through the ages, you will find that Christians have been hated, persecuted, imprisoned, martyred, killed for their faith. The centuries, Christianity has done great persecution. I want to read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 through 38, and, and it really describes what multitudes of God's children have faced through the ages. It begins that others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. We mentioned Isaiah. And they were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I've thought many, many times it's kind of interesting what the COVID has done to Christianity across America. Uh, there are many Christians that have yet to make their way back to churches. They say that 30% of those that were attending church before the COVID are no longer in church. Now, I think about what our forefathers paid. I think of the price that they gave. I think of the blood that they shed. And I think of what we are dealing with in the United States of America is so minor compared to what our forefathers and Christians of past ages have had to deal with. And I really believe that God has been testing us and trying us and preparing us for some greater things ahead. And, and friends, if we fall by the wayside because of a light affliction, what will it be when the waters get really difficult? Do you know there are some countries in our world today that for you to attend a church service like this might be a death sentence. Uh, there are some churches across our world today that uh, there will be soldiers that will come into that church service and arrest those that are in that church service. Would you be willing to be in church knowing that it might be prison or knowing that it might be a death sentence or a death warrant upon your life? What would you do for the cause of Christ? 
It appears to me that God's people need to be prepared. We're seeing some interesting things in our world today. I shared at our youth group this morning uh, five or six different articles this week that I read about the rebuilding of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And uh, there was one particular article that says very likely this Jewish temple will be rebuilt in the next 18 months. And I said, wow, I, I don't know if that will happen or not. But I'm saying to you, we are living in some days that are preparing for the end times and those that are saved during the time of the tribulation. Now, if you're saved now, you won't be here in the time of the tribulation. But those that are saved during the time of the tribulation, it's going to be a certain death sentence because they will not take the mark of the beast and they cannot buy nor sell without that mark of the beast. And they're going to be persecuted, hated, and martyred for righteousness' sake. I believe it would help us today to buckle down and to realize that what we do, we must do quickly. And that we don't have long to live. And we've got to do for the Lord Jesus Christ what is necessary. There are souls today that need the Lord, that need salvation. And friends, God's people today need a fire to light them. And we must today have the fire of God upon our life in preparation for this return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it could very well be that persecution may be the very avenue that separates the men from the boys. and determines true Christianity, separates the real from the unreal. It would help us to understand the Word of God, what others have faced. Let's go in our Bibles this morning with that background to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Very familiar passage of Scripture. You know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's one of my favorite Bible stories as a boy growing up. Hearing the testimony of these three boys that would not bow, they would not bend, they were willing to go through the fire for the cause of Jesus Christ. We have in the first part of Daniel chapter 3, and let me just read a few verses with you to lay the background. We have the command of the king, Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 3, verse number 1. The king made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. This was a huge golden image, would have been 90 feet tall. On this plain would have been visible for miles around. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Very simply, anybody who was anyone was invited to that dedication. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded. Here's the command of the king. To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, uh, flute, harp sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. 
Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound, and it goes on to describe these instruments, they fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. So you get the picture here. Uh, a decree has gone forth, a command of the king. The image has been established. It's being dedicated, uh, musical instruments. Uh, all of the leadership of the realm of the kingdom has gathered together on this plain. And at the sound of music, they bowed and they worshipped a false god, a false idol. It leads us into the courage of these Hebrews. They would not bow, they would not bend. We come to verse number 12 of chapter 3. And the command or the word comes to Nebuchadnezzar. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And we read in verse number 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Now remember the words of Jesus back in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. That was the case with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were persecuted for doing right. They were persecuted for obeying the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 12, Jesus expressed to those disciples, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. You say, how can you rejoice when you're about to be cast into a fiery furnace? How can you rejoice when... Everybody around you is caving in and doing that which is wrong. Now throughout the word of God, we read the accounts of how God blessed those that were persecuted. I love Acts chapter 16 where Paul the apostle, Silas, were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel in the city of Philippi. And there at the midnight hour, they began to rejoice. They began to sing praises unto the Lord. The Lord sent his angels and delivered Paul and Silas from the prison house. An earthquake took place that night. And we know the story. The Philippian jailer was saved along with his family that night. And that became a part of that church there at Philippi. Uh, we read of the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They had been arrested and in prison for preaching the word of God, or preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and following their arrest, they were released, they were commanded to preach no longer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they said, we must obey, not man, but we must obey God. And God's called us to preach, we must preach the word of God. And then the Bible says in Acts 5, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. I want to use this morning the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want to, to give us a challenge today. It's an illustration of how we are to handle persecution. 
And through this illustration, we see this principle laid down in Matthew chapter 5, how blessed they are that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, and how we are to rejoice and be exceeding glad because of the great victory that God wins through the persecution. Now, the first principle this morning, we've alluded to it, they wouldn't bow. These three Hebrews were called before the king. We read it in verse 13. Read it again. Of Daniel 3. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. They were given a second opportunity. Perhaps they misunderstood. Perhaps they heard it wrong. Second opportunity now to recant their faith and to bow before this image. Verses 14 and 15. Still they had held firm. They would not bow. They could have easily justified compromising. And let me just say that compromising Christians very rarely face persecution. They could have easily compromised the thought. I can bow to the image and still worship Christ. It's an easy justification. I'll bow on the outside, but on the inside, I will continue to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It could have justified. If I don't bow, I'll be killed, and then I could no longer serve Christ. They could have justified. Others are bowing. They claim to be Christians. Why cannot I? Many justifications for a compromise. Every person is going to be tested at some point in their Christian life. There will come a test to your faith. There will be an opportunity for you to compromise what you really believe. Every person at some point is going to be tempted to compromise, asked to bow to the world, uh, to bow to false gods, to bow to the pressure of your friends, uh, to be a part of the world, to worship the false gods of this world. There are some things that we cannot bow to. Some things that we cannot compromise. When we don't compromise, it's going to often lead to persecution. Can I say this morning, we cannot bow to another Messiah. We cannot compromise Jesus. These three Hebrews, Hebrews understood there's only one true God. Nebuchadnezzar's God was an idol made by human hands. It was a dumb idol that could not speak or hear. It was a false God. And we believe this morning there's only one God. And we believe that he is the maker of heaven and earth. And we believe that he left the glory of heaven, that he was born in a manger, that he went to the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and that he's coming back again, and that every knee will bow to him, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We believe that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Early Christians were tested in this realm. And you're going to be tested in this realm. See, that's not popular news, that Jesus is a narrow way, that he's the only way. 
That is the only door. That is the only opportunity of salvation. Early Christians were asked about to Caesar. They were asked to proclaim Caesar is Lord. But they would not do so, and they would proclaim, no, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. I think of Polycarp, the great Christian of 86 years, had been asked to bow to Caesar, to proclaim Caesar is Lord. He made this statement, I cannot bow to Caesar, Jesus is my Savior, he's been good to me, never once has he failed me, I will give my life for him. And he was taken to the stake and burned for his faith in Jesus Christ. Buddha. Hare Krishna, they're false gods. And we cannot bow. We cannot bow to Mary. We cannot bow to saints. There's one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this message not popular today, and the world puts pressure upon Christians today not to be so narrow, uh, not to reject all religion as a way to God. We believe that there is no way to God outside the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we cannot bow to another Messiah. We cannot bow to another message. Uh, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's God would be to compromise their message. It would be to express that true doctrine doesn't matter. Now listen close to me. It does matter what you believe. And it does matter where you attend church. It makes a difference. I want you to turn, keep your place in the book of Daniel, but let's go into the New Testament, the book of Galatians, chapter number 1. Galatians chapter 1 you'll see how important this message was to Paul the Apostle. In Galatians chapter number 1, read with me, beginning at verse number 6. Paul said to this church at Galatia, he said, I, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. But he said, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then Paul very bluntly states, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed." Well, Paul says there's only one gospel that saves, and that gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that Christ died for our sins, how that Christ was buried, how that Christ rose again from the dead. Muhammad, he's still in the grave. Buddha's still in the grave, but up from the grave, my Jesus arose. That's our message. Uh, go to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. Ephesians, chapter 4, to this church at Ephesus. Paul writes, beginning at verse number 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. And when the Bible speaks of the faith with this article, it's speaking of our belief, of our doctrine. 
Uh, then he says, unto the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And he speaks of the faith, of the doctrine, the importance of that faith, the importance of that doctrine, the importance of our message. Uh, go to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, again, Paul writing this time to Timothy, his preacher boy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, verse 1, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, from the truth, from the doctrine, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. In chapter Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, a similar thought. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-bakers, uh, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, he says, from such turn away. It's very clear as Paul's expressed saying we cannot compromise our message. We cannot compromise our doctrine. We cannot change what we believe. We believe this Bible is the Word of God. We believe that Jesus is God. We believe that salvation is by grace. We believe that we're saved by grace, that we're kept by grace, that our salvation is all of grace. We believe the Scriptures are truth and that our source and faith of practice must come from these Scriptures. And we believe that our Jesus is coming back again. We cannot bow to another message or compromise our message. That may not be popular today, but truth is unchanging. And in a changing world, Jesus does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in a changing world, the Bible never changes. And in a changing world, the gospel never changes. We cannot bow to another message. And we cannot bow to another manner of life. We cannot compromise our testimony. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's image would compromise their testimony. Now God says to us, be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God says, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them the call of the Lord out of your heart. Go back with me to the book of Daniel, this time to chapter number 1. Daniel chapter number 1. In the life of Daniel, Daniel would not compromise his manner of life. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8. Daniel, taken captive to a strange land, to the land of Babylon, had ample opportunity to compromise, but he would not do so. We read in verse number 8, I believe the key to Daniel's success. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. 
You see, Joseph or Daniel would not compromise. He would not compromise. He would not eat the meat offered to idols. He would not drink the wine that would have been alcoholic. He refused. He rejected. He said, I belong to God. I cannot compromise. God used him. I think of Joseph. Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Uh, Potiphar's wife day by day uh, pled with Joseph to lie with her. Joseph refused. He said, I cannot. I belong to God. I will not compromise my manner of life. You see, as God's children, we can't compromise. We can't bow to another Messiah. We can't bow to another message. We can't bow to another manner of life. We can't bow to ease and comfort. We cannot bow to materialism, love of money, love of position. Uh, we lose the touch of God. We lose the power of God. We lose the influence in a lost and dying world when we compromise. They would not bow. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Rather, they would believe. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. I love this section of Scripture. Read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Verse 17, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They believed that God was able. See, the God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, was the God that made this world. He's the God that spoke the world into being. He's the God of all might, of all power. Uh, there's nothing that God cannot do, and they understood this. They knew the story of the Old Testament, how God delivered Israel from the hand of Pharaoh, how God sent the ten plagues, and how God parted the Red Sea, how God delivered his children. Uh, they knew the story of God delivering David from the hand of Goliath and how David, by the might and power of God, with one stone slew the giant and delivered the nation of Israel from the Philistine armies. They knew the life of David and how over and over God had delivered David from the hand of Saul. And David fleeing for his life, protected by God, over and over they knew the stories. They knew the Old Testament story of God delivering Jehoshaphat from the Moabites and the Ammonites and on they would go. Yes, God is able. And they knew that. But if God chose not to deliver them, in verse number 18, they still would believe. They said, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They would still believe God even in their death. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Uh, listen this morning, if God delivered them from the fiery furnace, he's God. But if God chose not to deliver them from the fiery furnace, he's still God. I I've known some that have died of cancer. I think of a dear woman in my church in Estancia where I grew up and a godly woman and diagnosed with cancer. I remember the day the preacher reported this. She called the pastor, said, Pastor, God has dealt with my heart. He's not going to deliver me from this cancer. He's going to take me home. And it was not long after she spoke that the Lord called her home. And what a glorious funeral. God was God. 
And then we had in our church in Oklahoma a dear woman that came forward and asked the preacher of the church to pray for her. And she went back to the doctor the next week, the cancer removed. Yeah, God was God. He's God whether he delivers you through the fiery furnace or out of the fiery furnace. He's still God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to die for their faith. I wonder as I look at Christianity of America, how COVID would keep 30% out of church. Would we die for our faith? Those that will not compromise even to the point of dying for their faith are going to be greatly blessed of God. Many of God's children through the ages have suffered tremendously prison, beatings, mockings, hatred, loss of jobs, positions. Many have died. Hebrews chapter 11 tells the story. They wouldn't bow, they would believe, and they would be blessed. Blessed are they which are persecuted. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. He says rejoice and be exceeding glad. Now look in Daniel chapter 3, verse number 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that they were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. God chose to allow them to go through the fire. And often God will send his children through the fires of persecution. When we do not bow, when we believe, he then blesses. And that's exactly what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Consider their blessings this morning. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, they were blessed with his presence. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, rose up in haste, spake, said unto the counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, O true, O king, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. God's children find in the midst of their fire that he is so close to them. Uh, I find in my own life the closest times I've ever been to Jesus Christ have been the times when I faced the hardest trials in my life. It's the testimony of Paul the Apostle, Philippians 3, verse number 10. He says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. In Acts chapter 16, we spoke about the Philippian jail, the presence of Jesus in that jailhouse. 2 Timothy chapter 4, just before Paul was beheaded, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. And Paul said at my first answer, no man stood with me. In his time of persecution, no man stood with him. But he said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me 
and strengthen me. See, in the midst of your fire, there's Jesus. His presence, so real. The testimony of Stephen, when stoned, his face shone as the face of an angel. Read the testimony of Adoniram Judson, great missionary to Burma, cast into prison. All of the labor that he had given to translating the word of God into the Burmese language was burned in a moment of time. And the story of Adoniram Judson, as I read through this biography, it was so evident that in his greatest trial, he experienced the dearest presence of Jesus he had ever known in his life. They were blessed with the presence of God. They were blessed with a powerful witness. Nebuchadnezzar was a heathen king. But when he saw the courage, the boldness of these three, he was turned to the true God. Daniel chapter 3 verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at this statement. Ye servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. And Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. We read on in this passage of Scripture to verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who has sent his angel, delivered his servants that trusted in him, have changed the king's words, yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. I like verse 29. Therefore, this heathen king, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. You'll find that those that will not compromise their message, their Messiah, uh, their manner of life, will find in the midst of the fiery furnace, in the midst of their persecution, a powerful witness to their persecutors. So it was with Stephen, stoned. His face shone as the face of an angel. There was Saul guarding his garments. I don't think Saul ever got over it. I think as he looked in the face of Stephen dying, martyred, he saw something that he did not possess in his heart. He could never get free from it until the road to Damascus where Saul met Jesus and was changed. Persecution only fans the flames of the gospel. Years ago, I read the story of 40 Christians that would not bow to Caesar. They were marched the dead of winter on a frozen lake without clothes. Near the lake was a home with a fire burning, heated. They were told at any moment they could make their way off of the lake, off of the frozen lake, into that home if they would only proclaim Caesar to be God. Only one recanted. Thirty-nine died. They died singing praises to the Lord. It was said a Roman soldier was guarding the Christians. He was near the house and he witnessed their testimony, heard their songs. He said, they've got something that I do not have, something that I need. And it was said of that Roman soldier that he bowed his knee that day to Jesus Christ. 
as the one Christian left the lake. And by the way, that Christian never made it to the house. He froze to death before he got to the house of war. But that Roman soldier giving his life to Jesus Christ removed all of his clothing and joined the other 39, making it 40 to die on the lake. The testimony of these 40 Christians went through the world, multitudes saved because of their testimony. They were blessed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with a powerful witness for Jesus. And they were blessed with promotion. Look in verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar so respected their testimony, he promoted them. It went from the fiery furnace heated seven times more to now promoting them in position. And friends, listen close to me. The world today needs real Christianity. It needs to see a faith that is willing to die. A faith that will give all to Jesus. And I, I believe I, I'm tired of religion. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of just going through the motions. Friends, we need in our world today, if we're going to have revival, some Christians that are on fire for God. Mean business with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians that are willing to die. God will promote us in this life. He says he will grow us and that's how our faith grows. And in the world to come, he said, great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. These three Hebrews would not bow. They would believe. And they would be blessed. I wonder where are those that will not bow. They'll just believe a living God. Those will be the ones that God blesses, that God uses. He said to us in Matthew, blessed are ye. When men revile you and persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward. In heaven, may God give us for the days ahead that type of Christianity. Every head bowed.